actor's name, Oni Tamila, uh, plays P... Fuck, this is going to be a rough one for names, so <laughs> I apologize. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, it's almost Christmas, Christmas of the Plague, 2020. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, um, you know, uh, it's fine. I don't know. You set this up really weird, man. <laughs> like, it's fucking Christmas time. Let's try to have a little bit of... Joy, a little fun, if a little can. joy, a little, uh... Yeah, like, maybe ask a fucking normal question. Like, are you done Christmas shopping? Uh, basically... Are you done Christmas shopping? Pretty much. What about you? I haven't done a lot. Um, I'm only... I'm doing a very small group of people. Mostly my parents. <laughs> and and uh, I, I am sending something to you, but... I was going to tell you this off-air, but... Don't um, do that. It's probably going to come after Christmas because uh, the mail is even worse than the pre-election mail. Let's go ahead and move on to a game I invented midway through the day. Um, And I'm a little concerned because you were really struggling... Yeah, I'm this. still not sure I totally get it. So I don't, we'll see I don't know goes. if you do either. So the idea was Christmas movies, right? This is the episode that's going to come out before Christmas. Uh-huh. Christmas movies are kind of limited in what they can be. Because yes. they're only, they only come out I, once a year. I Generally it, speaking, okay. they all kind of follow a specific formula. There's one or two or three different things that they all kind of do um, to some extent. The aesthetics might change, but basically they're all the same. Um, with the exception of like certain genre variants, like your Christmas horror films, like mm-hmm. Rare Exports that we're going to talk about later. So I was trying to think of like, well, what are some Christmas tropes that haven't been done yet? Like what is a what is something that I'm that we might be surprised are hasn't been attacked from the perspective of Christmas. So I guess, I guess my confusion was you said Christmas tropes that haven't been done yet. Yeah. But for them to be tropes, don't they by definition have to have been done? Right. Well, in the alternate reality through the wormhole in the alternate reality, these are well-worn Christmas tropes like everything else. So like, what is my, (laughs) <laughs> what is my Christmas movie wish list, I guess? Like, what do I want from a Christmas movie in this day and age? Sure, it could be that, or it could be something you definitely don't want. But uh, I wanted to think of, each of us came up with two, and mine are, fa- I, I was actually surprised how, like, detailed mine are. Like, I could start writing scripts <laughs> right now. I don't know if I will, because okay. I don't know if I care enough. But um, I'll start with one of yours. Oh, fuck <laughs> you. I don't even know that I understand this game and you're starting with me. Do you want me to go first? Yes! I can totally go first. All right. I'm still, like, thinking of mine because I don't I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> okay. So here's my idea for my first Christmas movie. Okay. Um, it's a take on... This, this is a little political. 
Oh, Jesus, this is a full fucking movie pitch. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, this is my elevator pitch. Okay. It's, it's about the war on Christmas. And okay. it takes place in kind of like an office-style building of a news corporation, kind of like Fox News or OAN or one of those, like, hyper-conservative reactionary news networks. And they start this whole thing going on about the war on Christmas because Starbucks or something doesn't have a snowflake on their cup anymore. Um, and they put enough negative energy about this war on Christmas out into the universe that the North Pole and the magical North Pole, it actually awakens. I'm looking behind you right now in your, your background, um, Rankin Bass style, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, saviors of Christmas who hear that they're, that the, the Christmas is, is dying. And so they have to fly to Madison Avenue to save Christmas against uh, the liberal elites. All right. Uh, okay. I guess I, you had me at the beginning, and you, I'm not going to lie, you kind of lost me. Uh, uh, but sure. Yeah. The war on okay. Christmas. All right. Uh, well, fuck you. I didn't have like a whole movie pitch. Um, <laughs> I said it could be I, as most. It could be as general or as detailed as you like. So uh, a trope that I don't. Th- it used to be kind of a trope, and it mm-hmm. it hasn't been in a long time. Um, I, I would like to see it come back with a very specific like style flavor, and I'm talking about the '80s action movie, Christmas movie, sure, uh, like Die Hard. Lethal Weapon, right? This is this is a thing that kind of went away, except for Shane Black movies, right? Um, uh, but even though even them then it's it's very different uh, style than it is than it used to be. Um, so I would just like to see like the hard R action movie that happens to be set at Christmas come back. Like I want the next Die Hard. Okay. That's that's it. Like you know, explosions in the foreground, Christmas yeah. trees in the background. It could be um, the next uh, Olympus has fallen sequel or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But have it set at Christmas. Like, right. yeah, exactly. There's, there's, they still make enough bad action genre pulp. Maybe, ooh, ooh, okay, okay. Uh, maybe it's Jason Statham and. Okay. It's it's like a kind of like a spin on the transporter movies, uh, but he's got to like get his family home for the holiday or something, and then they uh-huh. get like hijacked by Somali pirates, and so he's got to like take out the Somali pirates so they get home in time for Christmas, right? <laughs> <laughs> something like that, right? Or like like an action movie that's centered around the holiday. Yeah, I mean. I think that still happens a little. I I don't I can't think of anything off the top of my head that's really put that front and center. Exactly. Um but yeah. Like what's the what's the last time you can really think of a movie that that did that? I did Besides see Besides black movies. Yeah. Uh like Iron Man 3 doesn't count cuz Iron Man 3 isn't a hard R movie. Reindeer games? <laughs> Ooh, yeah, Reindeer Games kind of, I think, might qualify. I, I mean, know, it was shitty, I... but um, there was also, uh, the, there was something. The Long Kiss Goodnight. Right, yeah, that was a little while ago. Um, 
But yeah, I think that uh, there was some action movie that came out, I want to say recently-ish, or maybe my memory is just pulling this from a long time ago, where they they used a Christmas jingle as like the, in the trailer, the, like cut it with action stuff. Okay. Like, Christmas jingle explosion, Christmas jingle, sh- shots fired. I mean, it I could be a, see- it could be a, a uh, Fast and the Furious movie. Yes! Oh my god, yes. That is perfect. Why hasn't there that- been a Fast and the Furious Christmas yet? They've done uh, everything else. Well, they're going to space in the next one, so yeah. We we need a fucking Fast and Furious Christmas. Mm-hmm. Do they save Christmas? No, I think... I, <laughs> what I'm specifically thinking of is it's like, Christmas is a part of it, but it's still and They're all works. about family, so it kind of fits in, right? Oh my god, this is so fucking good. <laughs> and I already mentioned Jason Statham. We've got holy shit. Uh, so, uh, oh, all right, this is coming to me. Shaw is a recent ally to the Fast and Furious family, right? right? And maybe he has some like important intel on a microchip that's gonna like cause a car to go thermonuclear or some shit. <laughs> and he gets kidnapped around Christmas time. So the rest of the Fast and Furious gang has to like you know, get in gear to go and save him. So it's like one part Fast and Furious, one part Taken. A Taken Christmas. Holy fuck. Like we could, there are so many of these we could do. <laughs> there is, there are, there have been. Um. Okay. Yeah. This is my second one. I was trying to think like all the things about Christmas that, you know, that are kind of obvious that are on the surface, but nobody's actually ever done it. Mm-hmm. Jesus literally has a birthday party. I'm just, I'm going to make you sit with that for a second. <laughs> I'm going to make you sit with that. Oh, I have. So this would be kind of like a... You're, still, you're good with that? I'm good with it. So this okay. is sort of, in my mind, this is sort of like a Harold and Kumar sort of style stoner comedy. Two buddies are hanging out, smoking weed, and somehow... They, at a party, they come across, or they're invited to a party, uh, where Jesus shows up to get down and get high and hang out and do silly things. And it becomes a one crazy night sort of adventure with Jesus, played by Polly Shore, uh, doing Polly Shore shtick the whole time. Um, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and at the end, it ends with Santa Claus coming played by John Goodman, um, to take Jesus back to heaven because he escaped and he's on earth causing mischief. And there's a battle between Polly Shore Jesus and John Goodman, uh, Santa Claus. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, you know, we're really excited about this idea, but (laughs) I think we're, I think we're going to pass just because I don't think we have the budget for that in the you know next couple of years. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for your time. Um, uh, please see Sandy. Tell at the me you wouldn't watch either of these movies. I, I think you had something with the first one. <laughs> I don't know about the second one. I'm pretty uh, into it. In fact, I was taking calls at work And I started to crack myself up thinking about this so bad that I had to, like, check myself. You know what? 
uh, write it down. I I mean, I know Pauly Shore is he's gettable. He, and he's, he's ripe for a comeback. So he is very gettable. Uh, I see ads on, or I see people on Facebook all the time. I'm in a comedy like jobs post or like uh-huh. group, and I see like you know he's looking for a new assistant every like six months or so. I bet. So uh, I I think he, I think you could make this happen. Uh, I don't I don't know that it should happen, but <laughs> I think I think it very very much could happen. I definitely think it should. So what what is your second idea for a Christmas movie we haven't seen? Okay, now that we're now that we're talking, now that we're we're getting the juices flowing. Now that you understand uh, the game, yeah. High fantasy mythology about the origin of Christmas. I'm talking. Like Lord of the Rings scope, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Santa Begins kind of thing, right? Like it's the war for the North Pole, uh, the army of elves versus an army of ice trolls kind of thing. <laughs> uh, uh, and, you know, it ends with Santa Claus and, and uh, you know, he's not called Santa Claus. He's just called like St. Nick or something. So yeah, you know. St. Nicholas or the, yeah. Uh, yeah. And something he's got cool. like full like armor with filigree and shit. Chainmail. Somehow at the end of it, he gets saved by like someone giving him a gift or something. Like somehow, <laughs> uh, like at the last moment. Uh, you know, like a child elf, like gives him the sword that he needs to defeat the fucking ice troll king, uh-huh. uh, and that like spawns the tradition of giving gifts, and then you know, uh, it's like a hyperborean Christmas. So it's be kind of like leaning into the pagan origins, but also like going straight into Tolkien. Yes, straight into Tolkien. Let's let's take what exists of uh, Santa Claus and and Christmas mythology, and let's expand it and give it the full high fantasy treatment. All right, yeah, I could be into that. Cool. All right, you know what? I think we had three really good ideas here. <laughs> uh, you call your people. I'll have them talk to my people. We'll see what we can we can arrange. <laughs> All right. Um, let's go ahead and get into the first review. Uh, this is The Sound of Metal. Wait, we weren't watching The Sound of Music? No. The the old... Julie the old Andrews musical? film. No. Julie... <laughs> the Hills Are Alive? Uh, I do think the name is a little misleading of this movie. I think it should have been called The Sound of Silence. Well... Right? Maybe that's a little too on the nose. The sound of metal just doesn't roll off the tongue. Well, I take issue with it because the band in the movie is not a metal band. They're like an avant-garde, droney, noise punk band. Yeah. But I'm not going to to split hairs too much as far as that goes. I also heard uh, Riz Ahmed was doing an interview and he said, like, you know, he had to learn drums to do this this film. And he had... He had X amount of months or whatever preparation to be able to play well enough to look to make it look real. Um, and uh, he had to he didn't get good enough, basically, to be a convincing metal drummer. So they kind of like 
reworked it a lot. Changed it to be like a punk band. <laughs> yeah, to be more of kind of just like a noise punk band. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, th- I thought that was kind of funny. Maybe he was joking. I don't know. But I, it seems conceivable. Um, so this is uh, written and directed by uh, Darius Martyr. And this is a indie drama starring Riz Ahmed uh, as Ruben. He is a drummer in a punk band with Olivia Cook, who plays his both his bandmate and girlfriend, uh, Lou. Um, I believe that's short for Louise. She's half French. Uh, and as they're going around and they're on the road, they're touring. He's he's an ex-addict. He's four years sober. And, you know, is very concerned with his health and has a morning routine and all of that kind of stuff. As he, they're going around touring, playing these small gigs and stuff, um, in their uh, motorhome, he starts to notice that his hearing is compromised. He starts to get these kind of underwater sort of sounds. Um, people's speech is muffled. And it seems to be getting worse every day. Until one night during a show, he completely loses all sound. And can't even follow his girlfriend anymore in the band um, on stage. So he quickly gets in touch with the doctor and he informs him that his hearing is deteriorating rapidly and is likely only to get worse. And the only possible uh, remedy is a very, very expensive and invasive uh, surgery of kind of electroid implants um, that he's definitely not in a monetary position to be able to do. So, this kind of leads him and his girl to quickly try and figure out how to deal with this situation. Of course, he's freaking out because he's also kind of like on the verge of breaking sobriety and seeing his entire future burn before his eyes. And he ends up in a home for the deaf uh, and a school uh, where he is sort of being mentored through this through this new situation in life and how to figure it out. So yeah, I saw a lot of previews for this coming up. I am so into Riz Ahmed. Um, I've never seen The Night Of, which I know is like his big thing on HBO, but I've never seen it. Um, but I loved him a lot in Nightcrawler, and I, he's been on my radar ever since. And this was, seems like his uh, you know first real big breakthrough performance in a motion picture um as a lead and uh because he was a villain in venom or whatever but um (laughs) yeah yeah, what did you think of wait so you didn't you haven't seen the night of i've never seen the night of no because that also has an incredible uh performance by john turturro i i highly recommend it (laughs) yeah it came out you know before i had access to hbo and stuff so but i heard it was very good um it's it's a limited series like you can you can get through it. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so this movie, like, it's very, um, there's two, I had two very initial reactions to this movie. Um, the, the pacing of it is very, like, kind of fly on the wall, um, uh, just sort of observing these moments kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, there's not a lot of, like, camera stuff and lighting stuff to build tension it's it's meant to feel very natural like very like put you in Riz Ahmed's shoes yeah um and so 
Uh, I mean, Riz Ahmed is great in this, but I mean, I think the real star of this movie is the fucking sound design. Right. Uh, yeah. Did you watch this really... with headphones? I didn't. Um, oh, okay. Because I, I almost yeah. can't imagine. I know, like, maybe in like a theater setting, like a large theater setting, you can kind of get the effect. But I, I watch television with headphones regardless, just because it's easier and I don't have to worry about bothering neighbors or anything like that. I'm just so used to it in this point in my life. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's so much going on, especially the pans to right to left and things like that. Yeah. And, uh, the way that we're sort of experiencing, I'm sure this is where you were going with this sort of experiencing Ruben's hearing loss through the use of sound design. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the, the closest I've ever really been to like being able to imagine what being, uh, deaf or, uh, going deaf would would be like like it is um the the sound design is incredibly well done um, yeah and and very immersive very um uh pov like very uh, uh and very scary at times because it's yeah. like you don't know what he's going through exactly um uh you know like some of the doctors kind of tell him some different things and and you know he, it's one of those things where he kind of gets a little bit of a different story versus every person he talks to. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And then uh, also, you know, uh, uh, a very cool, like sobriety movie style, like style, not, not like, I don't know. I mean, it is, but uh, it's, it kind of uses those tropes, even though it's not a movie about, overcoming an addiction it it almost kind of plays in a similar way not just because the character is an, an ex-addict um but because sort of the the way um he's sort of clinging on to nor normalcy well yeah to, to his old life um, yeah you know and and once he once he starts to change uh you know he he kind of uh, not not to give too much away, but uh, you know, I mean, it's a movie. It has climactic actions. You know, he <laughs> uh, starts to almost relapse back to his old life um, mm -hmm. uh, in ways that you know he he might might not be physically possible anymore. Um, right. Uh, and and also, I think this movie is a really cool movie for like for the deaf community and showing like. Because there's, you know, a, a big chunk of this movie where you're at this school for the deaf and this home for the deaf and just the way it, like, shows them living maybe not our idea of normal lives, but normal lives, I think, mm -hmm. is, is really cool. Um, and the learning that, process that goes into yeah. that. And the, the learning curve that which, you know, can be very steep, um, especially if you're if you have to learn all this and pick it all up later in life. Like yeah, he does as, as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, younger kids and children who are already in school and in a pedagogical, you know, situation where their brains are absorbing things all the time. Yeah. Anyway. Where, I mean, where they would be learning, you know, verbal language, they're just learning sign language and it, it's right. just a, a different, it's just a different language they're learning, you know, and when yeah. you get older, it's, it's much harder to learn a new language and yeah. you know it's i think especially if it's one that 
uses a different sense than you're used to using. You know, like you normally, you when when you are going deaf, you're used to speaking, you're used to using your voice, you're used to using your hearing, and then to just totally, you know, have to rely on your sight and your hands after that. Uh, I I has to be a tremendous challenge to learn to transition to that kind of a life. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I've had hearing problems a lot in my life. Not ever this bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I never got to the point where I absolutely, you know, absolutely could not hear people. But there have been different periods of my childhood um, and some places in my teen years where I got pretty close. Um, I've had uh, uh, tubes put in my eardrums more than once. Um, and basically it's like a fluid kind of situation that backs up behind your eardrum and it essentially blocks any kind of sonics or whatever. Mm-hmm. So w- that's another reason why I've so gotten used to just doing everything with headphones my whole life. Cause that was always the easiest way to, to do things. Um, uh, and now I'm just kind of used to it as in general, but, um, yeah, some of the stuff like 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 I'm actually like uh really impressed by the sound designers and the way that they, you know, figure out how to recreate that mm-hmm. feeling or like when people sound um like they're underwater or when people sound muffled or you can only hear the low tones and you can't hear the high tones anymore or mm-hmm. vice versa when things get really tinny and sharp. Um, well, I, I think also not just the sound designers, because, yeah, I feel like they nail that. But the way the director uh, and this might even just be more the editing. Um, yeah. The, like when he's losing his hearing. Right. The way it cuts back and forth between like his hearing perspective and what like what the doctors are telling him and stuff. Right. Um, it when really, it goes from like, the subjective to the objective. Yeah. And back uh, and forth. It, it, when he's, you know, first beginning his uh, transition uh, as a deaf person, there's a little bit more of that. And I think that is really interesting. And and to me is one of the things that draws attention to how good the sound design is. Right. Right. Um, and uh, it's also it's it's not just put in there as an effect or just as a hold your hand through through the experience, but it also, it's there to create emotional impact Yeah, with the character. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because the, the visual style of the film is kind of documentary like, mm-hmm. and, um, there's a lot of like follow cam and, and steady cam and handy cam kind of stuff going on. Um, you know, it has that kind of like lower budget looking indie sort of feel, uh, but this aspect of it puts you directly into the head of the character. Exactly. In a way that it, it, that sort of fly on the wall um, visual style sometimes doesn't let you in. Well, and, and I think I think it's important that the movie's shot that way because it, it feels very feels like the camera is very uh, uh, objective. Right. Right. And, and just sort of showing you what's happening. Um, and I think if there had been, you know, if the camera, if the visual lens of this movie had been too heavy handed, 
Um, I think it could feel very like holding your hand uh, through this journey kind of thing. Um, but the way it's shot, I, I feel like the the visual elements of the movie are just sort of like stepping aside so yeah. you can uh, experience the story. Right. Uh, which I think was a really smart, smart choice. Kind of minimal. Yeah. Um, so one of the producers of the movie, and I think one of the co-writers, I could be wrong about that. Let me let me look that up real fast. Yes, one of the co-writers and one of the producers of the film is uh, Derek C. in France, um, who also did Blue Valentine and uh, The Place Beyond the Pines. Okay. And both of those movies have a similar visual feel, um, and they're both heavily character-oriented. Place Beyond the Pines has kind of a crime movie vibe to it like that's mm-hmm. what it is but it kind of comes at it from this sort of visual approach or this sort of stylistic approach um but uh all three movies seem very formally interested um in that blue valentine jumps around back and forth in the timeline to kind of explore this breakup in a meaningful way um place beyond the pines is a triptych so it tells three different stories from the perspective of this family as they, you know, we go through different generations and see how the family a from the first story affects all the way down to the children and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this film, as we've discussed is using sound design in a really interesting way. And so what I like about Derek C in France and what he's doing with this filmography um, is he's using film, he's using cinema in a way that you can only do through the medium. He's, ex- he's exploring emotional storytelling through the, through the medium of filmmaking without having to go super big with it or super obvious. Um, but you know, doing it in a, in a pretty clever way, but without yeah. it ever coming off as precious or gimmicky. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and I think just like the and I think the 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 way the script sort of plays out um mm-hmm. kind of you know, and I am not going to say too much about what happens at the end. Um but I think sort of the way everything plays out it also like you said keeps it from feeling too sort of sentimental or too yeah. um uh too message heavy. Um, yeah. And I think that makes the message, I mean, I, if there is a message here, um, uh, you know, I think the, uh, uh, Paul Rassi plays his character, Joe, who's sort of like the head of this, um, this home, uh, yeah, this program. Uh, yeah. Um, and you know, there's a part where he tells Riz Ahmed that, you know, it's not, a disability like we can't live like it's a disability mm-hmm. and so i think just like the way the movie shot makes that message come across a lot more clear yeah than if it had been you know this like overly sentimental movie that like tugs on your heartstrings and stuff you know it that kind of thing would make me roll my eyes but this i think the way the film is is using this language uh it makes it feel a lot more genuine and a lot more empathetic to me 
Right. Yeah. And and I do think it is effective emotional storytelling. It might it might not have big, you know, music of the heart, uh, orchestral swells in the background to tell you when to feel sad or anything. Um, it doesn't have like the obvious Oscar clip moments or anything like that. But it, I think it is emotional storytelling. It just does so in a very naturalistic way. And I think yeah. when he comes, when he comes to realize the things he's supposed to realize, you're there with him because you're on that journey. Exactly. And you yeah. might even feel, especially uh, people wa- watching the film who are, you know, hearing abled. Um, you might watch the film totally sympathetic with his with his frustration and being like, you know, I don't want to figure out a new life. I want my well, own life. Yeah, and and but I again I think that's the way it's written is very well done because it's it's exactly uh-huh. that. It's it's not a matter of oh feel sorry for me. It's a matter of I have to change my entire life now, you know, right. and he's an older, you know, he's, he's a man, you know, it's when you're mid thirties or so. Yeah. Yeah. That age, when you're an established adult, it's yeah. hard to suddenly have to completely change huge Everything. aspects of your life, including yeah. his career, his aspirations, his hobbies, his joy, you know, yeah. I mean, he was a musician and that sort of seems like the obvious, like, that's the elevator pitch, basically. Musician goes deaf. This is how he has to learn how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually surprised by how not that much a part of the movie that is. I mean, he there's like moments where he's like, you know, teaching the kids how to do like drum, like stomp style drums on on uh, uh, paint buckets and things like that. And mm-hmm. uh, it comes up, but. It really is just kind of the bare setup of the story. And it really is much more about, you know, this learning experience, this transition of his life. Um, and Olivia Cook, uh, she's in there a bit, not a ton, but she's she is in there. Um, she's really good. And the beginning yeah. of the movie, she had bleached eyebrows. It was totally throwing me off. <laughs> um, and then... Yeah, she looks very, very different. I thought they were going for something, and then... She doesn't look like that later. I'm like, okay. So it was just like a stage thing or whatever. Yeah. It was just like um, her punk rock look. Her look. Yeah. Uh, I was ha- I was glad for that. Um, but I've been a big fan of Olivia Cook for a long time. And I think she does really great work here. Um, I also really liked Paul Rassi. He's, he does a really, really fantastic job in the movie too. He, yeah. He, he does a really good job of um, both playing that like mentor character and also like uh, uh, just the way he kind of transitions between uh, speaking and sign language, yeah. through his character is is really, um, uh, really convincing. Like I, I genuinely was like wondering how many. I, I'm sure a lot of the extras and stuff were uh were probably genuinely deaf. Um, I can't say for certain. I would. Ex- I would think so. But it, I mean, that's what. I, I'm just saying it uh it felt very genuine. Yeah. Um so you know I I didn't know who uh you know who actually is hearing abled and who isn't. Mhm. So uh I I guess well done. Yes. Yes. 
So what do you give uh, The Sound of Metal? Uh, I, I give it an A. I give it a solid A. I do too. It's it's a very good film. It's not flashy. It's not, you know, because the movie's definitely being hyper-campaigned right now for your consideration, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Big accolades, you know, very dramatic trailers with quotes punched this all over was, it. It's not that kind a, of movie. No, this is a very different movie that I was, I didn't even know that like, uh, deafness or, or hearing impairedness was a part of this movie. I thought this was like, Oh, really? I thought it was going to be like a punk rock whiplash kind of thing. Like, <laughs> well, I, from the I trailer, was, you kind of, that's what almost what it looks like. Like that's like a, almost what they're selling. Yeah. Like I was, I was expecting much more of a, um, like music movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't really that. Um, no, I thought the, I even knowing the premise, I thought that they were going to go into that more. Um, yeah, I, I there's going to be more about like him on tour and like the. I thought that him losing his hearing would be much more gradual, not yeah. literally the inciting incident. Um, so I, I like what it ended up being. But it is a very low key kind of movie. It's low key performances. Mm. Nothing is super obvious. Nothing's holding your hand, with the exception of Rossi, who I think that speech that you were talking about. There's a few things where it's where they're where he's kind of expositioning a little bit, but a little bit. But I, I again, I but think not in a way very... that seems unnatural. Yeah, and I think you know it. It also makes sense for the story because you're dealing with a character who is experiencing something totally new. Like, they're going to need a little bit of exposition for their situation. It's totally natural for him to, especially in this journey, to have things explained to him and thus explained to the audience. Um, uh, So, yeah, it's a a very good movie, but it's not a – it's not like a grand epic. Yeah. Yeah. uh, or even melodramatic, really, in any kind of way. It's not whiplash. Yeah, and if you go, if you're going in expecting the sound of metal, you're not going to get it. Even when they're playing music, they're not playing metal. But I will, <laughs> I will give them, I will give the film um, some props for his t-shirt selection. I was paying close attention to the t-shirts for the authenticity. We get a Youth of Today t-shirt. We get a. Uh, but there was one this uh, Jism. Mm-hmm. Get, Gism. Get, yeah. Is it get? Come on, that's Jism. <laughs> anyway, Japanese hardcore band. Yeah. Um. So I cool. I I like this movie a lot. A plus or A. All right. Let's uh let's move on to our streaming homework. Um. Uh. Rare exports, uh, which we watched on Hulu. Amazon Prime. I I think I watched this on Hulu. I watched it on um, Amazon Prime. Um, you may try both apps, see which one works for you. Yeah, it's available streaming. So in Finland, on this mountain, um, in, in sort of in the valley of this mountain, there's these uh, reindeer farmers. Are we sure they're not Iceland, Greenland? It's Finland. I, I, I looked where it up. reindeers come you looked it up? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's a bu- uh, a bunch of these like Finnish reindeer farmers um, in the shadow of this mountain uh, where there's these Americans uh, excavating 
um, uh, trying to to find something on Christmas Eve. Uh, well, it, during the month of December, and uh, one little boy, actor's name Oni Tamila, uh, plays P. Fuck, this is gonna be a rough one for names, so <laughs> I apologize. Uh, Pietari, Pietari, he thinks that they might be trying to uh, uh, unearth Santa Claus, um, but that Santa Claus is not what the legends that that we would believe would have him be. Um, uh, in this version, uh, Santa Claus is is more like a Krampus. Um, yeah. uh, he punishes the naughty. Uh, Big yeah, horns. And, yeah, and he wants to try to stop Santa Claus from from returning, uh, but no one in the town believes him. That's a good enough setup, sure. I guess there's all sorts of crazy crazy stuff that happens. That's all I'm doing. That's all I'm giving him. <laughs> okay, that's fine. What um, did you think of Rare Export? I liked it. Um... I feel. Like, I felt the exact same way about it. Yeah. Like, I liked everything I saw. I liked what happened. But I I feel like this movie kind of writes some checks it can't quite cash. It kind of... Uh, uh, and here's the thing. It's, again, nothing that I saw was unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. I just... Based on the look of the movie and the general vibe of the movie, like I kind of want, I kind of want like a J.J. Abrams remake. <laughs> well, I don't uh, want that, but I I know what you're I know what you mean. I think like everything that happens is good. There's some very cool parts. Yeah, it takes a good long while to get going, and yeah. I don't, and it, and it doesn't feel slow necessarily. But I did get to like the forty minute mark, and I'm like, oh wow, there's only because it's not a long movie; it's only like an hour and twenty. And yeah. I was like, there's only like forty minutes left of the movie, or maybe less, and we still haven't even like got to the main action yet. Like we still yeah. haven't even got to the thing; they're still building this up. Um, so as so. It kind of it's a it's a pretty long wind up to a to all the crazy time. stuff. Yeah. Um and now the I think all of that pays off for the most part. Yeah. Um but yeah, it is a lot of just like this kid sort of sort of nervously observing his father doing what might be some shady things. And um, when, when I say I want like a JJ Abrams remake uh what i mean is like i feel like this movie is almost set up for like i was expecting it to be a little bit more of the kids on bikes genre it almost uh, has that like at the beginning i was i said that when they're on the snowmobiles and stuff i was like oh this is almost sort of spielbergian in a way and then it doesn't really do that which is fine that's it doesn't need to do that it's not you know just because yeah, I, I felt that doesn't mean that that's what it was going for. Um, uh, I kind of feel like it. that's what it was going for a little bit. Maybe it, at a point. But it kind of abandons that, and then it sort mm. of becomes something else. And, you know, there's some there's some pretty, like, creepy stuff in some... It's, a, in general, kind of a creepy 
movie, and I don't mean that in like a ghost behind the corner boo kind of thing. I mean like there's some stuff that's just kind of gross and uncomfortable and and yeah yeah but and I actually I think I like all that stuff. It's a weird fucking movie. It is, and it's it's weird in a very like this is a very Finnish imported movie sort of way. Yeah, this is very uh, not well, American. Yes, yeah, and and the storytelling, and I think that's kind of why the storytelling beats are just a little off from what we're used to. Like I watched the show uh, Dark um, on Netflix, which I think is. Uh, have you heard of this show? I have not. Dark. Um, so it was kind of, when I heard about it, it was kind of pitched to me as like, uh, oh, German. This is, It's very German. Like, it, the elevator pitch I got for it was it's sort of like Lost meets Twin Peaks meets uh, Stranger Things. And yes, technically all of that is true, but the vibe is very German. It's very like its own thing. And the pacing is very different. You know, it's like an 80s sci-fi weird stuff happens in a small town kind of thing. But you don't get the beats that you would get in, you know, in a traditional American show. Uh, and this, I think, kind of has that same thing. And again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just... It just sort of left me with that vibe of like, like you said, I like this. It's just not exactly what my brain wanted, I guess. Or it could was like have actually expected. benefited from being a little dumber in a way. <laughs> like, you know, there's a there's a moment that happens at the end where I thought we were going to get this kind of big, dumb monster moment that just doesn't happen. And that's fine. Well, it does okay. its own thing instead, and I, I actually, like the thing it goes with. But I, I'm, a, I, I think this movie could have used a little bit more troll oh, hunter, or could yeah. have, could have used a little bit more um, a movie I might compare it to in some regards. Um, Bong Joon Ho's The Host. Uh, yes, because that's I another agree situation you. where you have Americans in another country and kind of a a, a foreign uh, interpretation of of Americans and that kind of thing. Uh, and I loved all of that stuff. I loved like yeah, yeah, the yeah. American uh, excavation team and and all that stuff. I felt like I loved how deliciously evil he was, and I felt like yeah. he. So I felt like that opening scene set a tone for the movie that we didn't get. Till like near the end of the movie again, because right. um, he's very broad, very you know like I'm an American capitalist here to capture Santa Claus, <laughs> even though I have a very thick Finnish accent still. <laughs> right. um, but I mean, I was loving it. I was like, I was here for it, and I, I, I agree. I think it needed just a little bit more of that. Like this is a silly premise. You know, uh, unearthing the ancient evil of the true Santa yeah. sounds like something we would have just come up with in that game we just played earlier in right. the episode. Right. That's what um, kind of made me think of it. Is I was like, you know, this isn't like anything I've seen in a Christmas movie before, so I'll give it that. Even though, like, Krampus and things like that. Because I think this is kind of pre-everybody knowing what the Krampus is. Mm -hmm. Like, there was a point in time when it was that was kind of an obscure Christmas 
mythology. Yeah, and I think if this had come out five years later, they would have just called him Krampus. Right, but they were like, well, nobody knows what that is. It's a weird German thing. So we're just going to... We're just going to kind of combine the characters and make it the same yeah, thing. Yeah, but the imagery is very Krampus. The yeah. the legend they the tell lore. is very... Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, again, I am here for. I am, you know, I... Our friend Hillary told us about Krampus before it became, like, a thing. And, right, because you know, her husband I, uh, was in Germany for a while. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, so I, you know, I feel like... I'm glad that American culture has kind of caught up to Krampus. Right. Um, and I'm here for it. I, I, I like, this is the kind of Christmas horror movie I enjoy. Cause yeah. it's, it still has the elements of a Christmas movie. It still has like the fantastical, um, magic. It's just a dark magic. And that's, yeah. that's what I like. Um, and the creepy but, stuff, almost body horror ish stuff that happens in the in the middle of the movie um is very effective yeah a little tonally somewhere else like yeah a, i kind of feel like what where are we now like where's like what's the movie up to i'm not sure are you talking about the the first the first creature they encounter yeah and and yeah. sort of that whole lead up and the abattoir and like you know the bloody aprons and it gets like really like gruesome in a way yeah, that like an American a, film obviously wouldn't wouldn't do in a and there is a weird moment where it's also like it almost feels like the movie's gonna go this whole different direction right. with like this like accused killer thing and then it it, it it but ultimately it comes back to all of the. The big high fantasy, dark Reveals. fantasy, yeah. yeah, stuff that I wanted. But I agree with you. I think, I think personally, the ending did leave me wanting a little more. I yeah. I was a little disappointed by. I would have liked to seen maybe at least another 10, 15 minutes just to like, now that we've gotten to this point, let's fucking do the thing. And yeah, maybe let's do the thing. Maybe and it's there could not... have been like a. Jurassic Park style chase and right a Jeep, and like, so, and just like like let's embrace the genre of it. Maybe that's our big dumb American brain saying that. But um, and, and and okay, so that's what I'm saying when I say I want to see someone like a J.J. Abrams remake this because I think the story's there. The yeah. story's fun. Um, it we've got all the elements we need, but I want I want the big American dumb brain moments like i want that those i wanted it to be a little bit more kids on bikes i wanted to see maybe some of these kids being abducted by santa uh i wanted to see a little bit more of that and then at the end i wanted it to be more of a monster movie i mean right. there, it still is but it's it's not exactly sort what of I subtle wanted. yeah and yeah. i it uh maybe that just wasn't in the budget maybe they kind of had to work their way around that um, i think so and then that, that might be the case. And I think however they've, you know, uh, managed that um, or mitigated that, I think that they did it in a pretty clever way. And it, yeah. it's very of a piece. It's very unique. But – And it look it does look good for – Yeah. Uh, for the budget they have. It does, you know mm – -hmm. All the acting it, is really good. All the characters are are memorable and stand out. 
Yeah, it's it's not a bad movie by any means. It's just I just wanted it to be a little bit more. It's just like you said, kind of dumb and genre. Yeah, it's a it's a B movie that could have benefited by being a little bit more of a B movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's um, a fair assessment. Yeah, but I still enjoyed it, and like you said, it is very uh, is very different than than most. Christmas movies I've seen and most Christmas horror. Yeah. Uh, they kind of leave it open to a sequel. And I could see a sequel being the movie we want. It also has pro-slavery message kind of in a weird way that I was not t- terribly comfortable with. But... Uh, I'm, uh, okay. I, I mean, don't know yes, exactly I- what they were going for there. I'm sure there's some sort of sat- layer of satire that I'm missing. But I was just like, whoa, okay, we're doing this. I. Yeah, I well, I mean, I guess I didn't really think of it that way. I saw it more as like these are you know fantastical creatures. I ah uh, man, I guess that's just my colonizer brain uh, uh, justifying you know the dehumanization of man. Fuck. Okay. Well, you, you know, know actually, now that you mention it, like the. If we see the movie as a critique of capitalism, because that's obviously like what the beginning of the movie is implying. There are elements of that. And, you know, they like when they see like all these dead reindeer, their first concern is, yeah. uh, you know, their the loss of money they're going to be getting. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there is more of a, a Bong Joon-ho-ish um, critique going on, but it plays out in a way that was very unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was very funny, but now I feel very bad about that. <laughs> so, I guess thanks. Um, Rare Exports. It's interesting. If you end up catching it this Christmas season, it's it's weird. It's way out there, and it's not quite as... If you're expecting Krampus, you know, just watch Krampus, because you're going to like that more. But if you want to see something a little more foreign, a little bit more artsy for lack of a better word um mm. this is not as high-minded as something like let the right one in but it's not as as uh as genre and as b-movie as krampus it's kind of somewhere in between and it's it's not as i don't think it's as harsh as like the christmas slasher genre either you know like the black christmas or silent night deadly night yeah it doesn't I, it's not it's, it's not, not really of that style of horror. Is it, there's not a lot of explicit violence in the movie, but the violence that's implied and the way they do it is pretty rough. Like, I mean, I, it's pretty visceral. Yes. I, I guess what I'm saying is I am not a, a huge fan of the slasher at Christmas genre, and I'm glad this wasn't that. Right. Yeah. I mean, they play, there's a mystery, people go missing, things like that. So it, it plays into that a bit, but it's not, um, it's not that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what do we have for the last film that we're going to be doing this Christmas season? I, I did just realize, and you can cut this out. The next episode we record won't be out before Christmas. And unless you're going to try to like release it on Christmas day. The next episode we're going to record will probably be in a week. Of the 23rd, right. Yeah, so I give you So it'll come out like on the 28th or the 29th. Um, Well, but the people, 
will be able to watch it before then and that's true and the next that's episode true. uh okay so for our our final christmas movie um uh as i mentioned uh previously uh me and some friends are doing um you know since we're all stuck inside this year for the holidays we're doing a christmas calendar challenge um if you watch the movies on the day that they're assigned you get uh 10 points if you just watch them whenever during the month of december you get five points so there's still time to play um probably won't be able to win unless longtime listener sean uh stumbles hard because he's managed to hit every day or my wife ashley unless one of them misses some serious like the next week they're probably gonna win but um (laughs) anyway uh for this little Christmas challenge thing, uh, just last night I watched A Bad Mom's Christmas on Netflix. Um, it is part of the Bad Momiverse. Well, there's uh, the two Mom's, movies, yes. <laughs> yeah, Bad Mom Cinematic Universe. Um, uh, yeah, so you can watch it on Netflix. This is a sequel to Bad Moms, okay. uh, which I have not seen. Um, so I guess take that for what it is. Um, I, I guess you'd yeah. Anyway, um, so A Bad Mom's Christmas uh, is streaming on Netflix. Cool. And if anybody has anything to say about this episode or any recent episodes, you can contact us at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on our in- Instagram and Twitter at MacGuffinPod. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MacGuffinPod to see when new episodes go up and other news items that we may or may not talk about on future episodes. Um, if you want to suggest some streaming homework, you know, we're using most of the streaming apps, not all of them, but, um, you know, if there's something out there that you've seen recently that you want us to talk about that you don't think we have, uh, you know, shoot me an email or get in the DMs and I'll let you know if we've already done it. Um, if not, we can put it on the docket. And if you want to follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram, you can do so at VC Cassidy. Uh, you can also read the reviews I do for the Idaho State Journal every now and then by going to the IdahoStateJournal.com in their uh, entertainment section or their movies tab. Be sure to read the other reviews and articles by the MacGuffin staff at MacGuff.in. And yeah, what about you? You can follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Uh, you can also follow my art account on Instagram at Sticky Note Aesthetic, where I do like fan art on sticky notes primarily. Um, uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter. Uh, we're going to get the Snyder cut of justice league eventually. And, uh, you know what? I think I might live tweet it. So you're going to live tweet uh, the Snyder cut. I think I might, I think I might, because nothing is more fun to me on Twitter than pissing off Snyder fans. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so follow us on Twitter. All right. And that'll be it. The real Santa was totally different. The Coca-Cola Santa is just a hoax.